helps you understand a complex world. Stay informed with NewsHour from the BBC, weekday mornings at 9 on Radio Catskill. Good evening and welcome to the local edition news and information that keeps you connected in the Catskills, Northeast Pennsylvania. I'm your host, Jason Dolp. Well, we got a lot for you on this Monday evening. Coming up, we have our weekly check-in with Sullivan County. Sullivan County Recycling Coordinator Cassie Thelman will tell us about new developments in the county's composting initiatives. The Food Scrap Recycling Pilot Program is starting up. And Jacqueline Carroll, Director of Infection Prevention and Control at Garnet Health, goes over the latest COVID info for our area. Derek Kirk will have the latest local news on our weekly roundup with the Sullivan County Democrat. But first up, it is September 11th. And from ground zero to small towns, Americans look back on 9-11 with moments of silence and tearful words today. In lower Manhattan, mourners commemorated their lost loved ones on the 22nd anniversary of the worst terrorist attack on American soil. Relatives of those who died read their names aloud in a ritual that's been repeated now for more than two decades. Governor Kathy Hochul says New York is still a prime target for terrorism, but different kinds of attacks. Instead of planes crashing into buildings or individuals detonating explosive devices, government, businesses, and nonprofits are encountering cyber threats, ransomware attacks, unwanted digital intrusions from places like Russia, in China, and because, as Governor Hochul said, everybody knows New York. So last month, Governor Hochul announced a new strategy to bolster state cybersecurity. From the New York Public News Network, WAMC's Ian Pickus has more. According to Hochul, $600 million is going into readying the state to deal with cybersecurity threats to state and local governments and the private sector, as well as individuals. She says the state's strategy includes three prongs, unification, resilience, and preparedness, and will be overseen by Colin Ahern, named last year as the state's first chief cyber officer. And now, please join me in welcoming the 57th governor of the great state of New York, Governor Kathy Hochul. Hochul outlined the strategy during an appearance in Brooklyn. Unification means, very simple, aligning whole of state government against this problem. I have a lot of agencies, a lot of points of entry, a lot of vulnerabilities. We're boosting our cybersecurity information, tools, and information services across the state. And it's going to be sophisticated. It's sophisticated. It's not just being attacked and then trying how to figure out cleaning up. I am always, whether it's crime on the streets, crime in our subways, I'd rather be preventing crimes than solving crimes. The same goes with cybersecurity. Hochul says, as in previous eras, New York is at the center of many potential threats. The FBI estimated that more than 25,000 New Yorkers, not across the country, but New Yorkers, fell victim to cyber crimes last year alone. And we are a prime target. This is New York. Prime target for those who want to harm us, disrupt our way of life, not something new to us. And not, after nine, During 9-11, our city was attacked because they thought they could have the broadest impact on our national and global economy by hitting the epicenter of the financial world. They hit Wall Street to disrupt our institutions and everything we stand for. The cyber attacks 
represent the same danger today. Among the speakers hailing the plan was Craig Newmark, the founder of Craigslist. The New York strategy really maintains genuine leadership, both for protecting the people of New York and also inspires the protection of people across the whole country. This is a big deal. It includes a vision that I share with the governor that we're talking unity across all levels of government, across public and private sectors, and for that matter, we're talking about a whole-of-nation defense, kind of like World War II. We were all expected to play a part, and that's back. Cybersecurity and preventing against ransomware are also on the mind of the federal government. The White House held its first summit on the issue, hosted by First Lady Jill Biden, on Tuesday, with many experts warning that limited funding is in place to defend against data breaches and targeted attacks. Biden administration cybersecurity point person Jake Braun says bolstering cybersecurity is vital to national security, but also a path to new tech careers. There's billions in in, uh, these bills for cybersecurity um, investments as we're rebuilding our infrastructure so that this go around, we can bake cybersecurity into the infrastructure and the economy as we rebuild um, this economy from from the ground up. I'm Ian Pickus, WAMC News. And thanks to Ian for that report and the New York Public News Network. In other news, as NPR has been reporting, a new COVID-19 boosters could be available soon, just in time for peak respiratory illness season. The new shots are updated versions of the Moderna and Pfizer-BioNTech vaccines formulated to help people fight off the new Omicron subvariant. The FDA is poised to approve them any day now, and some experts are urging everyone to get the boosters. Recent data from the CDC reveals a 31% surge in hospitalizations in New York State and hospitalizations across Pennsylvania are up about 65% from their July 20th low. So this rise coincides with the ongoing prevalence of the new EG.5 variant, characterized as a relatively mild strain of the COVID virus. Our own Tim Bruno spoke to Jacqueline Carroll, Director of Infection Prevention and Control at Garnet Health, on Radio Chatskill late last week about the new variants and how to stay safe. We should note that Garnet Health is a financial underwriter of WJFF Radio Catskill. Based on the literature, EG.5 does seem to be more transmissible and is definitely responsible for a growing percentage of the circulating viral illness in the community. Combining this information with the fact that people naturally congregate indoors during the colder months of the year, it is very likely that we're going to continue to see higher rates of um, COVID-positive cases and hospitalizations during the fall and winter seasons. Um, Compared to the rates over the summer, the Mid-Hudson Valley data trends are already showing a substantial increase in positive tests and, and hospitalizations, as you kind of already reviewed. How do you think that this variant, the EG.5, a mild nature of that variant could influence this typical time of year where you see more of an uptick? I think EG.5 is going to be very similar to what we had seen um, last year, but it's really kind of hard to tell. It's a little early right now. 
Um, but the best measures that people can take to prevent the spread of these illnesses is to wash and or sanitize their hands frequently, consider getting vaccinated, cover their cough and sneeze, and of course, monitor themselves very closely for signs and symptoms of respiratory illness. If they are experiencing signs and symptoms of respiratory illness, they should try to stay home the best that they can um, from work or school or other obligations where they would be around other people. And if you're unable to stay home, um, consider wearing a mask so you can help to prevent the spread of these illnesses in the community to others. And you mentioned vaccinations, some new vaccinations around the corner. Is everyone eligible? Should, should I get one? What do you think is the advice for vaccinations? Sure. So with with vaccinations, um, there are a number of options available to everyone. Um, for those who have received their primary COVID-19 vaccine series, there is a new COVID-19 booster vaccination that will be available in the next few weeks, um, which will help target one of the predominant circulating strains of COVID and has been shown in early studies to help protect against severe uh, disease and, and death. Um, and anyone who is really not currently symptomatic with illness has received their COVID-19 vac- last COVID-19 vaccination, either primary series or booster, six months ago or longer, um, should be eligible for the vaccine. However, I highly recommend um, to discuss eligibility and recommendations on dosing um, with your primary care provider to ensure that you are eligible for it. There is also the flu vaccine will be coming out and will be readily available in the next few weeks as well. Um, This vaccine will cover four of the strains that are predicted to be the most prevalent during the season. And anyone who is not currently symptomatic with illness and is six months of age or older should be um, eligible for this as well. But again, I would review with your primary care provider on that. A recent uh, Axios-Ipsos poll found that Americans uh, seem to be more concerned about other health risks like uh, fentanyl or obesity and even guns, and COVID-19 ranked at the bottom. Were you surprised by that, and do you find that also? Yeah. So um, I think all of these topics present, you know, a pretty substantial threat to the health of the public at large. Um, I think with COVID-19 specifically, we have all been so flooded with the information over the last few years that it has somewhat desensitized um, some to its serious nature. Um, however, we do continue to see on our side of things um, COVID-19 related long-term health effects, including long covid and post-COVID conditions, and even COVID-19-related mortality across the country. Um, So based on this information, I think everyone should keep it on their radar for sure and take whatever steps they are comfortable with to help protect themselves and their loved ones. Yeah, according to CDC, deaths from COVID increased by nearly 18% over the previous week, but the numbers remained relatively low, uh, averaging just over 600 deaths per week in August, compared to about 3,000 per week in late August of 2022. And to put it in context, in late August 2021, that was about 14,000 deaths per week. Uh, we've seen some improvements, and we're also seeing this virus continuing to evolve. Um, wh- what role do you see uh, masks playing a part in our lives this fall and winter? I think it's very possible that masks will continue to play a role in the recommendations that are coming from our local, state, and federal public health officials. Uh, more specifically, if COVID-19 and influenza community transmission rates do continue to rise, it's very um 
likely to anticipate that the recommendations, and I wouldn't say necessarily mandates, but recommendations to mask while indoors may be circulated by the public health officials as a means to try to keep the transmission at bay within the community. People should probably tailor their behavior to their own risks. If you're vulnerable to COVID, like you're an older adult or you have a weakened immune system, you happen to be pregnant, pregnant you, you probably want to take the utmost precautions anyway. Absolutely. I would definitely agree with that statement. I would assess your own risks, um, you know, what is going on in your life, your, your current health status, um, to really decide what would be best for you uh, in order to help protect yourself in the best way possible. And you mentioned this a little bit at the beginning here, uh, just some basic things that we maybe forgot uh, during the pandemic. Wash your hands when you sneeze, try to, to sneeze into something or your arm, other tips uh, that we should remind folks about. Um, you know, cleaning and disinfecting surfaces, especially those high-touch surfaces frequently. Um, if you feel comfortable with masking when you're in public, when there are high community transmission rates, that's also, of course, something that you can do. Um, but really, just it all goes back to those basic core um, things that we do to prevent the spread of illness. Like we had just said, washing your hands, cleaning and disinfecting, practicing respiratory etiquette. That's what we call it when you cover your cough and your sneeze. Um, and just being mindful of others um, if you aren't feeling well, maybe staying home whenever you can um, just to prevent that spread. Jacqueline Carroll, Director of Infection and Prevention at uh, and Control at Garnet Health. Thank you so much for joining us today with an update on the uptick in COVID-19 and for reminding us uh, how to stay safe. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you to Tim Bruno from Radio Chatskill. Remember, Radio Chatskill comes to you every morning here on Radio Catskill at 10 a.m. Monday through Friday. You don't want to miss it. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we have lots more news, so don't go anywhere. You're listening to The Local Edition, winner of two Excellence in Broadcasting Awards from the New York State Broadcasters Association. Radio Catskill. Listen local. Hello, I'm Sullivan County Clerk Russell Reeves. In two years, all domestic air travel will require a passport or real ID. A clerk's office and DMV can help. The DMV can answer questions and help you obtain your real ID. The clerk's office does passports and passport photos by appointment. Both offices are open 9 to 5, Monday through Friday, at the Government Center on North Street in Monticello. Appointments can be made at SullivanNY.us. Thank you. Paid for by Sullivan County Government. Hi, this is Laura Flanders, and you can catch The Laura Flanders Show, which I produce right here in a cabin in Sullivan County every Monday night at 7 p.m. on Radio Catskill. You'll hear interviews with social critics, artists, activists, and entrepreneurs, forward thinkers who are building tomorrow's world today. Deep conversations about change with the leading thinkers and doers of our time. That's The Laura Flanders Show, Monday night, 7 p.m., right here on Radio Catskill, public radio for the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania. And, of course, that's coming right up at 7 o'clock, right after the Daily, which is next after the local edition. And then at 7.30, join Sabrina Artel for Trailer Talk. Her guests will be Susie Fromer and Jill Padua. They're talking about repair cafes and some of the repair cafes that have been happening in our area. That's on Trailer Talk tonight at 7.30. Quick look at the weather. Thunderstorms this evening, and then uh, skies will become partly cloudy after midnight with areas of patchy fog. Overnight low down to 58. 
Partly cloudy tomorrow. Stray shower thunderstorm is possible with a high 76. And partly cloudy tomorrow evening. And periods of rain likely after midnight overnight low down to 59. This is Radio Catskill. Support for Radio Catskill comes from the Neversink General Store. Featuring deli sandwiches, gourmet specials, and catering. The NeverSinkGeneralStore.com. From the River Reporter the community newspaper covering four counties in Pennsylvania and New York along the Upper Delaware River, riverreporter.com, and from listeners like you who donate at wjffradio.org. And welcome back to the Local Edition. Every Monday we check in with Sullivan County Democrat for the latest news. It's our weekly news roundup with the Sullivan County Democrat. And Patricio Rabio spoke with Democrat editor Derek Kirk earlier today. Derek starts off with news from the town of Rockland. Town of Rockland that includes hamlets like Beaverkill, DeBruce, Roscoe, Livingston Manor, among others. And now in the town of Rockland, there's a new law that was passed. Derek has more. So in the town of Rockland, a local law was passed uh, that has to do with a parking situation that got some residents who came to the town hall um, a little a little riled up. Um, what the local law does, it was passed, um, and what it does, it uh, essentially takes away a number of illegal parking spots um, and will set up signage around certain areas in the uh, hamlet of Livingston Manor uh, on the corner of, I believe it's Main Street and Pleasant Street, I believe. Um, that will... Uh, is supposed to take away um, or divert traffic, uh, people from parking there for in the interest of safety, uh, as the members of the town board noted that there were uh, a number of close calls in a recent uh, car uh, fender bender accident um, on that uh, little intersection there. So to combat that uh, danger, um, they passed, they enacted this local law, uh, which um, was. Uh, Prior to it being passed, was protested by a number of uh, business um, owners and residents um, of the uh, hamlet of uh, Livingston Manor. Um, and more can be read on that local law and uh, on today's front page of uh, the Sullivan County Democrat. Well, that's government at work there, local laws um, addressing an issue that's happening in the town. Now, on to your next story. It's an award from the UDC, the Upper Delaware Council, and our very own Rosie Starr won an award. Uh, what can you tell us about the award ceremony that the Democrat has covered? Absolutely. So the UDC, or the Upper Delaware Council, held their 35th annual River Valley Awards. And a number of those awards highlighted individuals or organizations that put forward a good step and goodwill um, for the environment and for the culture of the uh, Hudson Valley uh, area. Um, a number of these awards were uh, handed out um, via plaques um, and uh, highlighted, uh, like I said, organizations and individuals. Uh, in addition um, uh, to that, uh, the awards being handed out, uh, United States Representative Mark Molinaro uh, gave the uh, keynote speech um, and highlighted the importance of uh, all levels of government um, maintaining and protecting uh, the environment, especially the upper Delaware River, uh, which we all call home. So more can be also be found on that on the front page of Tuesday's edition. Absolutely. Congratulations to all the award winners. And this weekend you had a big event that, hap that happens annually here in Sullivan County is the Firemen's Parade, which honors all the firemen 
that are here in Sullivan County. And it's become a two-day event. There's a gathering on Friday night and also the main celebration that happens on Saturday. Uh, Derek, uh, what can you tell us about this uh, parade? Right. So this would be the 94th annual uh, Sullivan County uh, Volunteer Fire Firefighters Association parade happened over the weekend. Um, a number of uh, fire uh, volunteer firemen um, and departments marched down uh, the main street of Roscoe, uh, who were the hosts this year. Um, and a, a wonderful spread of photos can be uh, found on page 1B of Tuesday's edition as well. Yeah, all the photos I see online on Facebook, uh, it seems like it was a great event, and a fun time to be had by all, and uh, some great photos, and as I say, honoring the firefighters across Sullivan County. So, again, it's a, another packed paper. You have the local laws that happen in Rockland County, Rockland Township, I should say, and you have the UDC Awards, and now also the Firemen's Parade on 1B. As always, Derek, thank you so much for talking to us. Sounds great. Stay safe. For Radio Catskill, I'm Patricio Robayo. And finally tonight on the local edition, an update on composting, because Sullivan County now has permission from the state to commence with its food scrap recycling pilot program. It starts up on October 2nd, and it's supposed to prevent organic waste from ending up in landfills. Patricio Robayo spoke with recycling coordinator Cassie Thelman. Sure. So... I don't have all the specific details. I've I've only been with the county for about a year now, but um, I know we've been working on getting approval for our composting since 2017. But before that, we even were talking about it back in 2014 as part of our climate action plan. Um, so when the county sets goals, they're usually um, long-term projects. So from 2014 to 2017, it was, you know, talked about. And then in 2017, we finally uh, really got going to make this happen. So what are some of the main challenges Sullivan County faced in obtaining the, the permission from the state to have a food scrap recycling pilot program? So our biggest issue is was that uh, we didn't have a current permit for the Monticello transfer station. Mm. So we've been working with the DEC uh, for quite a while now to get everything updated so that we were we could get approved for our new permit. And in that new permit, which we did get this year um, in May, it now approves us to accept the organics. So without that permit, we, we just legally wouldn't have been able to accept the uh, source-separated food scraps. So what exactly can be accepted in this program? What types of food scraps? Are there any, and also, are there any things that are not accepted? Okay, great question. So uh, we're working closely with Ulster County Resource Recovery Agency. So right now, the things that we can and cannot accept are based on their guidelines. So any uh, food, fruits, vegetables, meat and poultry, including bones, um, fish, shellfish, uh, including the shells, uh, dairy, bread, pasta, eggshells, chips, pretzels, nuts and seeds. Those things are all acceptable, including even um, coffee grounds and the paper filters. Mm. So really any type of food we can take in the program. The things that are not accepted, any plastic, uh, including like any packaging, any stickers that might be on your fruit, those really need to be taken off. Um, staples in your tea bags, we got to make sure those come off. 
Um, and another thing that we cannot accept are compostable bags and other compostable products. Um, you might think, but they're compostable. Um, just yeah. because it's branded that way doesn't necessarily mean, um, you know, compost breaks down at certain temperatures and a paper, a compostable paper plate might break down at a much hotter temperature than what we're doing with regular food scraps. So, um, unfortunately, compost, any compostable labeled, uh, packaging we are not accepting. Um, we also can't accept pet waste or, um, like flower clippings. Flowers that were purchased in a store. And the part of the reason is the possible chemicals that could have been in- included on that. <laughs> that was the long way of, of giving you some of the things we, we can and can't accept. And, and hopefully, that's a, a wide range of things there. And if there's any questions, we can also always discuss and, and find out. Absolutely. So, you know, you're diverting food scraps from the comp, from the landfills. So let's talk about why is that important? Why is it significant that the food scraps be diverted from the landfills? Uh, there's a lot of reasons. Um, looking at the solid waste that we collect each year, um, last year, we had over 88,000 tons of solid waste. Um, so if we diverted 30% of that, we could be saving over 25,000 tons of waste. Um, and even if we only diverted 10%, that's still almost 10,000 tons of waste. Um, so keeping those things out of landfills, one, the landfills are, are going to run out. They're going to fill up. Um, uh Already, we're transporting our waste over 400 miles round trip up to Seneca Meadows. Um, so the trucking, the hauling, um, getting that all up there, the carbon footprint, it, it's a lot. And if we can even just take 10% and transport it much closer or keep it in county and out of the landfills, it's, it's going to make a huge difference. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, uh, Dan Hoos, the uh, Communications Director for Southern County, was on Radio Chatsco not too long ago, I believe on Friday, talking about this uh, food scrap program. And he mentioned that if the food scraps won't be processed here in Sullivan County, they will be actually going to, uh, I believe, Ulster County. Is that correct? Yes. So we worked um, with an engineering company down in Suffern, and they created what we call our organics management plan. And the first step of that plan is this pilot program that we're launching. So for right now, we're going to be collecting food scraps at our transfer stations. And from here, we're going to transport them um, to the Ulster County Resource Recovery Agency, which is in Kingston, um, much closer than going to Seneca Meadows. Um, so that's how we're going to kickstart this program. Once we um, have data of how much waste we're collecting, um, we plan to go to the DEC and uh, request funding to build our own compost facility at the Monticello Transfer Station. Right. So th- that's sort of the long-term plans for this program, if if it proves to be successful. Right. Which yeah. I, I can't imagine it wouldn't. So. Right. So, uh, so, um, it, you know, folks are hearing this, listening to, you know, the opportunity to, uh, you know, help the environment and, and, you know, uh, not have the food, their food scraps go into landfills. How can someone sign up for this program? I am at the Monticello Transfer Station Monday through Friday. Um, I'm going to be setting up hours where I'm at the other, um, 
transfer stations throughout the county, and I'll put those hours on Facebook. Um, but for now, you can either stop by or you can um, email me, which my email is recycling at sullivanny.us, or you can give me a call at 845-807-0291. And we are also on Facebook at Sullivan County NY Recycles, and I do um, see the messages that come through there. So any way you want to reach out to me, um, please do, and I'll get your information and we'll get you registered for the compost program. So once someone signs up, for this program on October 2nd or when it starts on October 2nd, what can folks expect? Will they get any kind of paperwork? Will they get some kind of bin to put all these food scraps in? Um, once you're signed up and registered, our first 400 uh, people to sign up are going to get, obvious, anyone who signs up is going to get our literature, which um, is a pamphlet and a couple other flyers just showing what um, foods are acceptable and what are not acceptable. Um, our hours, our location, our website, um, just some step-by-step processes. Um, and an additional five-gallon pail if you want to keep that in the shed or garage or mudroom or wherever you have to keep it um, so that when that countertop pail gets full, you can empty it out. Um, of course, if you're not creating five gallons worth, feel free to bring the two-gallon pail instead of the five-gallon um, but either way, anyone who signs up will get both of those buckets. Right. Now, when you say bring them, uh, will this all be available to ev- everybody's local transfer stations or do they have to come to the Monticello one uh, once they're, you know, October 2nd rolls around? So we're accepting food scraps at five of our transfer stations. We do have six. Um, unfortunately, the Western Sullivan transfer station in Coshecton is uh, registered through New York State as an interim transfer station, and we just don't have the uh, DEC approval to accept the waste there. Um, but we we can accept it at any of our other five, which is Monticello, um, Ferndale, Highland, Mamacating, and Rockland. And all of those stations, their addresses and their hours of operation are on our website. So we'll be talking to Sullivan County Recycling Coordinator learning about the food scrap recycling pilot program that's starting on October 2nd. Thank you so much for joining us on the program. Awesome. Thank you so much. Kaylee Tomlin talking to Patricio Rabio. Thank you so much, Patricio, for your reporting.